Hi, this is Michelle from Seattle, Washington, a true native born and bred. I'd like to do a little shout out today to a Mr. Nate Bowen, also in Seattle, Washington, and thank him for introducing me to the awesome Best of the Left podcast. This program is made possible by supporters just like me and Nate. For details, visit the membership page at bestoftheleft.com. And now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from markfiore.com, This Week in Blackness, Moyers and Company, The David Pacman Show, The Media Matters Minute, and The Majority Report. And I, for one, welcome the recent Hobby Lobby decision by the Supreme Court, as it's yet another in a long line of glowing examples of why we need to institute single-payer already. There's a case pending at the Supreme Court called Hobby Lobby, Sebelius yes. versus Hobby Lobby, which is actually a employer's effort to claim a religious protection in a for-profit institution. I think what's at play here is the attempt to use religion to achieve uh, what are basically political goals. In that case, what they want to do is undermine the uh, Affordable Care Act, mm-hmm. and that it is using faith and a person's faith to undermine the fact that we all have right to health care in our nation. Right. What they're trying to say is an employer can control what quality of health care I get based on the employer's religious right. perspective. This is wrong. It's the wrong way forward because it's imposing my will or an employer's will on another. That's it, not us. If the court finds in favor of the plaintiffs, it would be the first time that corporate rights were upheld, that the idea that corporations have this, uh, you know, Right um, to be this or that would be upheld at the expense of their workers, where it would quash the rights of their workers, and that would set a very, very chilling precedent. Just because it was only restricted to women's health access does not mean that it doesn't create a devastating precedent, which says that women's health care should be treated differently. Millions of women use contraception every day. They don't think that their IUD is abortion because it isn't, and so you know, treating women's health care differently, I think, is going to have a re- is going to resonate. There's no woman who says, I get an abortion every month because I have my IUD. Um, and, and actually, the biggest irony is as if you know this case now has, has passed and we see other companies doing similar things, it will most likely increase the abortion rate because the single most effective way of reducing abortion is increasing access to contraception. Right. So I don't think these people can actually be anti-contraception and anti-abortion at but the same time. This is a case at the Supreme Court today that has been championed by conservatives and Republicans as a test of religious liberty. At its factual core, though, it really is about the question of whether or not your boss gets to decide on the basis of his or her religious beliefs whether or not your health insurance covers your birth control. What right do they have, again, to interfere with medical decisions by women? I mean, this gets to the whole issue of women's health and why should women be discriminated against in ways that other medical beneficiaries are not. What's at stake in in this case is whether millions of women and their right to preventive care, including birth control, is trumped by the by a handful of CEOs who have their own personal opinions about birth control. Withholding basic health care from women is bigotry, plain and simple. We should not accept it, no matter how sincerely the belief is held.
So this morning... Science! <laughs> science? What did The Supreme Court killed science and words and language and meaning. So to understand uh, Amani's uh, frustration, uh, the Supreme Court uh, this morning ruled in favor of Hobby Lobby, uh, who was fighting uh, the uh, the mandate within Obamacare, uh, the Affordable Care Act, that required employers to uh, make sure uh, to to pay for women's uh, contraception. It's not paying for women's contraception. Say it again. It's, it's not paying for women's contraception. It's offering health insurance plan that include contraceptive coverage. It's an yes. important distinction because one of the things that people don't seem to realize is that health ins- because of because health insurance is offered through employers, health employer employees recognize that health insurance benefits are part of their wages. So when women are asking for health insurance that covers all of their health care needs, they're saying. I'm working for you. You're providing me health insurance as part of my wages instead of giving me more money so I can go out and buy it in the marketplace. So you need to cover everything I need, everything vaginal, everything breast-related, everything hormonal, contraceptive-related. I need it all. And the yep. Supreme Court just said, nope. Tell them, tell them why you're mad. I'm mad because it just the, – the, the decision today really upends – Centuries worth of corporate, of corporate law, it upends the way cases are tried. Normally, when, when a party brings a, a lawsuit, they file a complaint, right? And the complaint says, you know, I, Elon James White alleges XYZ. And then at trial, Elon James White has to prove XYZ by submitting evidence to the court. No court, the district court, the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeal, and the Supreme Court of the United States did not require Hobby Lobby to prove its assertion that the particular contraceptive methods to which they are opposed actually cause abortion. They believe that these certain four contraceptive plan B, Ella, which are both morning after pills, IUD, cause abortion. They do not cause abortion. What they do is prevent pregnancy. Well, isn't that the same thing, Amani? Well, actually, I was some some NRO guy, Ed Whelan at NRO, actually was arguing with me this morning because I was I was making three three points. One, abortions per, abortions terminate pregnancy. Two, contraceptives prevent pregnancy. And three, pregnancy begins at implantation. And now, what conservatives are trying to argue is that well, life begins at conception, and because we believe that fertilized eggs and embryos are actually life, anything that might prevent that embryo from implanting in the uterus is an abortion. But that's not true. Since 1970, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists has said pregnancy begins at implantation. Pregnancy mm-hmm. has to begin at implantation because otherwise, every time women menstruate, it's an abortion. Every time, mm-hmm. I mean... every. And, and how far how far back does it go? Like, does it, is it specifically is it all about the egg, or is it also also some sperm action? Because I'm about to say, when I was about 13, I probably I, I, I had a lot of abortions in my sleep. Um, <laughs> exactly, um, abortions in your tube socks. <laughs> so all of the abortions, Boy. like that was what happened. But this guy, this guy literally was arguing with me when I kept saying, "But pregnancy begins at implantation, and abortion terminates a pregnancy." He came back at came back at me with, "Well, childbirth terminates a pregnancy too." I'm like, "Are you seriously telling me that giving birth is like an abortion? It's like, is that how crazy we're? Is that how far we're going now? Is that how far away from science we're moving?" Is now that you're trying to tell me that childbirth terminates a pregnancy, so therefore childbirth is an abortion? 
I mean, if you can make that argument, then uh, then uh, uh, ha- ha- uh, doing shots might terminate a pregnancy because then you won't go have a uh, have sex unprotected and can get pregnant. It's 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 maddening. But the but the real issue here is that the court has said that Hobby Lobby and Conestoga Wood and all of these like something like eighty seven different corporations, for profit corporations, they believe it is their sincerely held religious belief that the morning after pill, for example which prevents pregnancy, which prevents a pregnancy from even happening, that those are abortion-inducing drugs. And it doesn't matter whether or not that's true, which it isn't. These companies believe that that's true. And we, the Supreme Court, we can't question their belief. We're not allowed to question their beliefs. Like, do you, can you imagine, that's, that's insanity. Basically, Hobby Lobby could net file a lawsuit and say, we think Advil is an abortifacient. We sincerely believe that gummy bears cause abortion. We're therefore not, we're not gonna provide insurance coverage that, that includes Advil or ibuprofen. We're not gonna stock gummy bears in the vending machines because they cause abortions. And the Supreme right. Court would say, okay, well, that's your belief. Even though no, you're not gonna find a single scientist to get on the witness stand and say gummy bears cause an abortion? You believe that? It's sincerely held. Jesus told you that. So, okay. We'll accept and that. It's, for me, like, the, the, you, to use the language of belief, when it comes to something that is not in that book, which you believe in, I mean, it just doesn't even actually make any sense. Right. Because, I mean, it's one thing to say we don't like it. We don't think it's fun. We don't like what it does for women. We don't, but to say I believe or don't believe in a, a drug is, is crazy. Right. It's I mean, just, you're, you're a woman of faith. You're a woman of the church. I'm a bleeding heathen, so maybe I can't speak to this, but, I mean, it, it seems to me that if there is something that you are stating as a religious belief that is not really spoken about within that within the good book, yeah. wh- then where are we getting religious beliefs and we're just pulling them out of thin air? Hey, people. Hey, people. There's a book you really ought to read sometime. God wrote it, and I quote it, anytime that its purposes suit mine. If you had trouble sorting through the blizzard of decisions released by the Supreme Court led by Chief Justice John Roberts, you've come to the right place. Two of the most knowledgeable court watchers in journalism are here to help decode the implications of those five to four rulings on public prayer, organized labor, campaign finance reform, and the Hobby Lobby case. That's the decision that certain companies on religious grounds do not have to provide health insurance for some forms of birth control. Linda Greenhouse covered the Supreme Court for the New York Times for 30 years and still writes a biweekly column for that paper. She's a lecturer as well as the Knight Distinguished Journalist in Residence at the Yale Law School. Dahlia Lithwick, who has a law degree from Stanford, is a senior editor at Slate.com, where she writes the website's Supreme Court Dispatches and Jurisprudence columns. Currently, she's working on a book about the four women who have served as Supreme Court justices. Welcome to you both. Thank you. You have covered the court, Linda, since 1978. In that context, what do you make of the Roberts Court? Ah, so I I try to think generously about the court, but I think it's hard for anybody looking at this court objectively to come away 
not thinking that it's a court in pursuit of an agenda. And I'm sorry to say, I think that agenda maps on pretty closely to a Republican Party platform in the hot button issues that many of us care the most about. And is that unique in the years you've covered the court? I have to say so, yes, in, in terms of a five-member coalition having coalesced for those results. Uh, not that there haven't been conservative versus liberal uh, splits on the court always. And I covered the transition between the Burger Court to the Rehnquist Court, and certainly Chief Justice Rehnquist had an agenda. It was a kind of a states' rights agenda that he was pretty successful in accomplishing. But what we see now, I think, is a much broader effort across more areas of constitutional doctrine that really touch the lives of people. I agree. I think that, you know, you need look no farther than the win record of places like the Chamber of Commerce. You know, big business at the court is having its winningest uh, few seasons under the auspices of the John Roberts Court. You know, these are, these are, you know, business interests that used to win, you know, 50% of the time, 60% of the time, and in the last few years, between 70 and 80% of the time, uh, issues on which the Chamber of Commerce and other pro-business lobbies get involved in cases, we're looking at huge win rates. And I think if you look at the architecture of unraveling, the, the sort of Warren Court revolution, what the court stood for, uh, you cannot look at the Roberts Court and say that they've done anything other than systemically unravel voting rights, women's rights, workers' rights, environmental progress. It's, it's a pretty palpable and, I think, unequivocal trend. I think you've also written that the right on the court is further right than mainstream conservatives. Well, I think that there's two things. One is that it's absolutely clear, I think this is empirically proven, that for the last few decades, everybody who retires on the court is replaced by someone either slightly to their right or significantly to their right. So the court has not uh, kept a pace with you know, mainstream legal thought. The court has torqued more and more to the right. And I do think that on some of these issues, notably birth control, uh, which we saw kind of I guess somewhat uh, illuminated in the Hobby Lobby discussion, this is a, a, a view of birth control that is not at all in step, I think, with where the American public is on birth control. And so I think in that sense, the court isn't simply to the right of sort of mainstream legal thought, but dramatically to the right of the rest of the country. So you had uh, Scalia, Justice Scalia and Justice Thomas way out there, and you had Chief Justice Roberts, I think... Uh, misinterpreted by many people as steering a moderate middle course. What he was doing was, as he's been doing all along, steering a strategic course to tee up the court to ultimately be in a place where he'd like it to be, but he doesn't need it to be there all at once. Where do you think he would like it to be? Well, I think he'd like to get uh, the government out of the business of... Um, exhibiting special solicitude toward claims of racial discrimination. And they've, they're moving right along on that. Uh, the, the voting rights decision a year ago, Shelby County indicates that, and they didn't quite get what they wanted in the Fisher case last year, the University of Texas affirmative action case, because they couldn't quite bring Justice Kennedy along. But that's certainly you know part of the agenda. Another part, the court has is in the process of sort of hijacking the First Amendment free speech principle as a tool of deregulation. 
in a, a startling way. Startling? Startling, yeah. yeah. What would have been not too many years ago considered just ordinary garden variety federal or state regulation of business activity. All of a sudden, we see that there's a First Amendment claim uh, being raised by the business interests, free speech, uh, commercial speech, corporate speech, that, uh, you know, is being given a great deal of deference uh, by the court. They keep pushing this notion of the corporation's personhood. How far can they push that before they lose their claim to be rational and reasonable men? I think that for a lot of court watchers, it was simply staggering to take the principle announced in Citizens United that corporations have First Amendment speech rights, which, as controversial as it was to the rest of us, was not all that controversial uh, in the First Amendment community. But to extend that to religious freedom under RIFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, was Breathtaking. I mean, that wasn't simply corporate personhood from, from Citizens United tweaked a little bit. That was saying that for purposes of religious freedom, corporations uh, pull into the parking lot next to you at church and put on a hat and pray, and that they can uh, exhibit religious conscience in a way that defies, I think, the, the, the metaphor defies most of us. Most of us cannot say that Hobby Lobby prays or exercises religion in the parlance of the case. Or has a soul. Or has a Which soul. Which many religious people believe comes with the turf. And so I, I think that that was, uh, you know, it's a, a part of the case that a little bit disappeared in the conversation around birth control. But really, I think the part that was breathtaking for those of us watching the court was the ease with which they transported this idea that corporations are people too for speech purposes to the idea that corporations are persons under a statute that was supposed to protect persons. There's nothing in that opinion, the way it's structured, that you can say, aha, here's the stopping point. Instead, you read it and you say, whoa, this just goes on and on. It, it stops at, at Hobby Lobby uh, today because it's, Hobby Lobby brought the case, but it, there's no reason why it wouldn't apply to some other more conventionally organized company, too. What do you make of the fact that uh, Justice Alito said, well, this applies only to the contraceptive mandate? Do you take him literally at his word? What worries me about the Hobby Lobby decision, if he's simply going to say contraception is different, and he says that in the opinion, this is different from real medical interests like vaccinations. You know, there, there really is a compelling interest, but contraception is different. So I, I find that in and of itself terrifying. If I have to take him at his word that this is an unserious government interest, then that's extremely problematic for women's reproductive health and freedom and economic freedom in this country. And so it's almost, there's a way in which one has to, to look at, and, you know, Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg in her dissent calls this a minefield, you know, that what he's opening up is a Pandora's box. One exemption after another for any claim for religious conscience. And, and, and clearly, if you uh, read the opinion, there is, as Linda says, really no limiting doctrinal principle. He's just asserting... For, for purposes of this case, contraception isn't a sufficiently compelling thing, not just to, to protect and privilege, but to even really discuss in the opinion. He just elides over the problem of it. And to me, I think it raises the possi one terrifying possibility, which is that contraception isn't a real medical need, and that scares me. The other is that maybe that this religion is somehow just a real religion, and that the court is inserting itself into the business of deciding when the Jehovah's Witnesses come along 
Wong and the Scientologists and the, the strict Muslims, that their religious claims are less privileged, that's equally terrifying in my view. Hobby Lobby. Let's follow up on what's going on with Hobby Lobby. The court that supposedly, the Supreme Court, wants to rein in President Obama's executive authority just said, in, in light of this decision that they made, that if he wants to provide contraception coverage at no cost, he needs to find a different way to do it. Kind of a weird uh, double standard from the Supreme Court. And the more I look into, it, to, into this, the more I realize that there are actually many levels of hypocrisy, many double standards when it comes to what the Supreme Court decided with regard to Hobby Lobby, contraceptives at, at no cost, and health insurance. First of all, Hobby Lobby, and we reported this back in April, Hobby Lobby invested in numerous abortion and contraception products while claiming they have a religious objection to those. And part of the religious objection, remember, Lewis, is non-procreative sex. That's not something that Christians are into. Unfortunately, it seems that even Hobby Lobby currently is not abiding by that because they currently provide coverage for things like Viagra and they also provide coverage for vasectomies, both which are used for non-procreative sex. So immediately, Lewis, before we even get into the deeper analysis, we have to remember that even at its face, the idea that contraception goes against their beliefs and thus they don't want to provide it is bogus because they're currently providing Viagra and vasectomies as part of their health insurance. Right, and not to mention all the products from China like we talked about, um, which kind of fits into the same thing. Secondly, and this is the, the less discussed level of hypocrisy, people, the people, the employees of Hobby Lobby, if it turns out that this will exempt Hobby Lobby, that still remains to be seen, have not won any religious freedom. This is supposedly about this amorphous concept of religious freedom, but as it turns out, as Justin King from Digital Journal writes, this case was about religious freedom, but the employees of Hobby Lobby were not represented. Their religious rights and values were not considered, and even if they were, the employees cannot make decisions or waive the rights of future employees. Those employees that don't want to abide by the religious values of their employer are left in a void. And this is absolutely salient right now. Hobby Lobby, as a large organization, says this is the view, this is our organizational view, and it's about religious freedom. What about the religious freedom of Hobby Lobby's employees, who may be working there, not because they are Christian, and maybe don't share these beliefs? They now have no choice but to not have, if the decision pans out the way Hobby Lobby wants, to not have contraception covered, because of someone else's religion being imposed on them. How is that religious freedom? You know what's funny about this whole thing is that this entire discussion would not be happening and never would have come up 
if we just had reasonable uh, national single-payer uh, single health care, right? Of course. This health insurance should not be a for-profit enterprise. It should not even be connected to your employer, period. The Corporate Commandments, brought to you by Hobby Lobby. I am the corporation by God. Thou shalt have no other rights before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any false idol, unless made of fabric glue and knickknacks purchased at Hobby Lobby. Thou shalt not take the name of any corporation in vain, lest we fire you immediately with cause. Remember the Sabbath day, verily a good day for online shopping and auto sales. Honor thy supervisors as your father and mother, for they best know your contraceptive needs. Thou shalt kill the competition with super selection and super savings. Thou shalt adulterate what it means to be human. Thou shalt steal victory from mere mortal beings. Thou shalt not bear false witness unless it enshrines your religious beliefs in the law. Thou shalt not covet the coming corporate rights. Hear this as foretold by the great prophet Alito. Go, sin no more, and await the coming of glorious corporate personhood. Brought to you by Hobby Lobby, the place to shop with everyday super selections and super savings. So in the Hobby Lobby case, are they framing corporations possessing more rights as persons than people as individuals? Are they reframing our relationship to corporations? I'll give you an oblique answer to that. I think you have to understand Hobby Lobby setting it alongside the other big religion case this term, which is a case called Town of Greece, Town of Greece against Galloway, which upheld the uh, recitation of Christian prayers at the start of town board meetings in this uh, upstate New York town. And this practice was challenged by two non-Christian citizens who didn't feel like having to listen to these prayers when they showed up at the town board to conduct their business. And they argued, and the lower court agreed, that this was, in effect, an establishment of religion in violation of the First Amendment's Establishment Clause. Justice Kennedy, writing for the 5-4 to four majority that overturns the lower court and upholds the prayer, says, yeah, you know, these two plaintiffs were offended, but adults in America hear lots of offensive speech and basically just, uh, you know, deal with it. I mean, a total lack of, you might say, empathy 
uh, for the position of these plaintiffs who were being made to feel, who claimed they were made, being made to feel excluded as citizens in their community. So uh, take a look at that, and then eight weeks later, we come down with the Hobby Lobby, where the, the court's solicitude for the conscience claim of Hobby Lobby's owners, not from having to hand out birth control to their employees, but simply following a federal law that includes contraception within the employee health plan, and the employees could decide to do whatever they wanted about that, uh, that this, this attenuated claim was so worthy of, of being heard that the court was just dripping with empathy for Hobby Lobby's owners. Do you sense any empathy there for women in the, in the majority? What's interesting to me is, and somebody actually counted the, the words, the number of times the word women appeared in the majority opinion as opposed to all this language of, of real deep identification with the religious owners. And it, it's clearly uh, disparate. In other words, uh, you know, it's not only that, that women don't show up, but... Uh, Justice Alito, in his opinion, does this sort of clever thing, which I, I likened in, in one of my columns to the way uh, Ricky used to talk to Lucy, where he sort of says, I'm going to grant you that this is important so that I don't have to argue it. Uh, so the, the, Alito sort of says, let's just concede that it's an important issue. But then he never engages with it. He in no place says, my God, there are all sorts of non-procreative reasons, urgent health reasons, basic reasons that have to do with women's ability to control their reproductive lives over, you know, 40 years of, of a career, none of that is acknowledged. And so there's a way in which by simply conceding it, he gets around the fact that he, he doesn't have to talk about it. And it seems to me that this country, you know, if you think about the rhetoric around the Hobby Lobby case and the degree to which this has been represented as sort of loose women who are too lazy to go to the drugstore and buy a condom and the, the blowback we've had about that, had the court had the conversation that says, here's a reason that 99% of American women use contraception, and these are all the medically indicated reasons that sometimes a very expensive IUD is the thing that the doctor will recommend for you, none of that happens. And because it doesn't happen in the court, it doesn't happen, I think, in the conversation around the decision. And it seems to me that our ability to have the conversation about why this is just one of the central tragedies of Hobby Lobby. Well, and I think we also have to acknowledge that that this whole contraception discussion in Hobby Lobby is a proxy for abortion, right? So Hobby Lobby's owners say the only things we object to are the, quote, abortifacients among the 20 or so uh, required contraceptions by the, by the mandate. Uh, and, of course, that's a total falsehood, actually, because uh, if you take... Medical definition of pregnancy, I mean, what does abortion do? It ends, a, ends an ongoing pregnancy. None of these contraceptives actually do that. They, none of them that are on that list work after the fertilized egg has implanted right. in the uterus. And so if somebody wants to believe that a fertilized egg has full personhood, that's certainly their privilege. But that's not a medical definition of pregnancy. So the the sort of hijacking of this issue and importing it into the abortion issue is a very uh, 
clever move that's really at the center, even if unacknowledged at, on, in, in this whole debate. And I would just add, I, I think, you know, Linda, Linda said, you know, we have to look at Hobby Lobby next to Town of Greece, the legislative prayer case. I think we also have to a little bit look uh, at it next to McCullen, the abortion buffer case. Because well, while that... That case d removed any buffer between the protesters outside who, in some cases, were harassing the women going into the clinic, and, and now they can go right up to the door. Right. I mean, there was a 35-foot buffer. This is Massachusetts. It comes up after a history of horrific clinic violence, including shootings at clinics. And Massachusetts says, we don't know how to keep these women safe and how to keep public safety and health uh, beyond this 35-foot buffer. And it comes up as a free speech case. But in the opinion read it, written by Chief Justice John Roberts, the solicitude for these uh, uh, sidewalk counselors and the implication that everyone who has ever stood outside a clinic to talk to a woman does so in gentle tones, uh, with sweetness and light, and without any acknowledgement that there is a reason, a historic reason, that these women needed to be protected on their way into the um, clinics is really another uh, example of, of what Linda's describing is that over-empathizing with one set of interests and almost total... Uh, uh, disregard for the interests of those women seeking abortions. And I just think uh, I, I track both of these as going back to, you know, John, uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy uh, in the last time the court heard a major uh, abortion case was so careful to say we're just worried women are extra frail and sometimes they regret their abortions and we have to be super duper careful with getting them good information. And it seems to me that that's kind of the pill from which so much of this sentiment that all of First Amendment law stops and all of religious freedom stops and everything in the, the, the constitutional architecture of this country stops when we're talking about women and their reproductive systems. It's right. so strange. Strange but true. Strange but true. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. We have yet another instance of hypocrisy and double standard when it comes to Hobby Lobby. The owners of Hobby Lobby, which is this Christian-owned craft supply chain, they were so offended by the idea of having to include emergency contraception like Plan B, the morning after pill, intrauterine devices, and their health insurance plans that they sued the Obama administration, and now the case has reached the Supreme Court. We talked a couple of days ago about how on the one hand, they are against anything connected to abortion or birth control. But at the same time, their stores are filled with cheap Chinese manufactured goods 
supporting a country where there are forced abortions to the tune of over 100,000 a year. That was one instance of hypocrisy and double standard. Let's find another one. Mother Jones is now reporting that there is actually millions of dollars, there are millions of dollars in Hobby Lobby's 401k retirement plans in mutual funds that invest in multiple pharmaceutical companies that produce emergency contraceptive pills, intrauterine devices, and abortion-inducing medications. The companies that Hobby Lobby invests in include Teva Pharmaceutical Industries, which makes the Plan B morning-after pill, Paragard, which makes a copper intrauterine device, as well as Pfizer, the maker of the abortion-inducing drugs Cytotec and Prostin E2. Hobby Lobby also invests through mutual funds in two health insurance companies that cover surgical abortion. So, what do we have here, ladies and gentlemen? We have a situation where Hobby Lobby is fighting the Obama administration very, very strongly because they don't want contraceptives, birth control, abortion funding in their health plans. Meanwhile, they're selling millions and millions of dollars of goods purchased from China, which forces women to have abortions, and they invest tens of millions of dollars in companies that make contraceptives, they manufacture abortion-inducing drugs. It actually, as disgusting and hypocritical as it is, sounds just about right for this type of organization. Right. I have to assume that the executives here are one of two types of people, uh, either the devout and completely ignorant type who really have no idea uh, about the, the details of their, their business, the Chinese products and, you know, their mutual funds, or uh, just people that are interested in only making business and every decision is one based on profit. Yeah, maybe it's a, just a business thing, which is, well, let's, let's push against this domestically. We don't really care that much about our company's connection to abortion and birth control because we buy all the stuff from China. They have forced abortions. We are making money for our retirement plans based on the success of companies that manufacture these, these drugs. But... We're a Christian company, we're pro-family, blah, 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 all that stuff. So let's tangentially just kind of uh, 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 run this opposition to Obamacare all the way up to the Supreme Court because it'll look good. That's definitely a possibility, but you never want to assume people aren't ignorant because uh, very often they are. Court made its ruling in the Hobby Lobby case. Many women were understandably upset at that ruling. Well, uh, Laura Ingram went on Fox and Friends to basically tell those women to fuck off and not be so upset about it. In fact, we have her clips. So let's take a quick look at that. I think a lot of these women have uh, really bad cases of the vapors over this case, and, and they're doing so only for uh, for political reasons. I think most people see this and they say, "Wait a second. Uh, okay, so these women who decide on their own." to work for these closely held public companies like Hobby Lobby and a few other plaintiffs in this case, 
that that they're now uh, not considered real people because sure. they're not able to get abortifacient drugs from Hobby Lobby's insurance. When they can go to Planned Parenthood, by the way, we as taxpayers give Planned Parenthood $500 million a year, okay? They can go to Planned Parenthood. They can go anywhere else. They can get their own policy. The government can also pay for it, which is probably what's going to happen. The, the idea that, that, that there is no way for these women to get the very small class of abortifacient drugs and other contraceptives that Hobby Lobby, on sincere religious grounds, believe violates a religious uh, conscience. Sure is ridiculous and she knows it and the left knows it and Hillary knows it this is a cynical game they're playing and I think it's time for for common sense thinking Americans to call them out on it their agenda has failed women economically women are not uh, better off than they were six years ago in the United States of America they know it and they're trying to use this to try to gin up their old Sandra Fluke deal and I think most people see through it <laughs> I'm also amused by the random throwing in of Sandra Fluke. Yeah, yeah. They love any opportunity to like belittle her and make her seem as though she's like some sort of whore who goes around sleeping with anyone and just needs someone to pay for her. By the way, Sandra Fluke's doing fine. She can pay for her own, you know, her own contraception. We're talking about people who are poor who desperately need it so they don't get pregnant and have unwanted babies. No, but she's become like one of those talking points, yeah. like Benghazi, IRS. You just throw it into a middle of the conversation. Oh, they're going to do that Sandra Fluke thing. What does that mean? What, what so is the Sandra stupid. Fluke thing? Get contraception like 99% of women? What does that mean? Right? It just It's just a buzzword that Fox News audience then has been trading like Pablo's dogs. Yeah. To be like, liberals, Sandra Fluke, Benghazi. Yes. Right? Yes. And I love this. She's saying, oh, they got the vapors. Meanwhile, she sounds like the most bitter person in the yes, world. Yes, thank you. Yes, she told, she's the one who sounds like she has the vapors. And by the way, for those of you who have no idea what that is, it's a Victorian era phrase. So let me tell you what it is. It's a term referring to illnesses known as vapors. Uh, it's an archaic form for certain mental physical states such as hysteria, mania, clinical depression, bipolar disorder, fainting, withdrawal symptom, mood swings, or PMS ascribed primarily to women. This is related to the similar term female hysteria. Okay, so first of all, for one woman to use that against other women uh, is not cool. It's like an old stereotype, like a woman, you know, with the pre-PMS and the whole thing. And you know how hysterical they are. They get the vapors, right? Mm -hmm. So I love the pro-women Republican Party, pro-woman Laura Ingram. That's great. By the way, my favorite part about that clip was how often she name-dropped Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. Like, do you know how much money we give to Planned Parenthood every year? Did you know that women can go there and get plant? They can get whatever contraception they want. It's affordable. Yeah. Who do you think is trying to cut funding for Planned Parenthood? It's your party. You're the same person who's advocating for cutting funding to these organizations so women don't have access to birth control, to abortion. By the way, to simple things like breast screenings and things like that. So name-dropping Planned Parenthood in that case is so insincere and so pathetic. And by the way, another thing that she said was Hobby Lobby has sincere religious grounds. Well, there's a huge hypocrisy there, right? And the huge hypocrisy is... Uh, a huge chunk of their uh, items come from China. So a bunch of conservatives, a bunch of Christians have actually called them out on this. And I love that because oftentimes when we talk about conservatives and very religious people, we say, hey, why is it that we don't have the normal Christians coming out 
and denouncing them for pushing these ridiculous regulations and policies. Well, uh, here's one person. You cannot call your business Christian when you're arguing before the Supreme Court and then set aside Christian values when you're placing a bulk order for cheap wind chimes. And Jonathan Merritt in that case is making the um, argument that, hey, you know what? Christian values also push the notion that we need to help the poor. And we're not helping the poor when we're supporting cheap labor abroad. I thought they were going to go another direction. China has a one-child policy. I mean, you want to talk about abortion on a mass, mass scale? That's China, right? So if you're doing business with China, that's a thousand times worse than anyone getting an IUD here in the U.S. You know, out of your workforce, however many people that applies to, we think that they should have access to that. But that, that's not even one percent of one percent of the issue of. Even if you believe that that was led to that was technically abortion, not even one percent or one percent of the abortion issue that China has. So I have numbers for you. Go. Okay, so let me give you those numbers. So since China uh, started using the one-child policy or instituted the one-child policy, there have been a total of 330 million abortions wow. over 40 years. But Hobby Lobby's cool with that because hey, it's cheap labor, which means cheap merchandise that they can, of course, sell for more money. That's how they profit. When it comes to profit, who gives a shit about your morals? And the reality is, it's not really about their morals or what they believe in their religion. This has to do with the fact that they hate Obama, they hate the Affordable Care Act, so they're using this one small part of the Affordable Care Act to attack Obama, to attack liberals. That's what this is really about. It's not about birth control. It's their stupid agenda, and it's ridiculous that we're wasting so much time on it. If you have deeply held religious beliefs, uh, Hobby Lobby, I'm sorry, but that 330 million abortions is on your head. You're funding it by continuing to do business with China on a daily basis. Well, you say, oh, well, that's just a Chinese company. Hey, China's communist, man. The government owns everything. So, sorry, you're totally wrong about it. You're working with communists who do hundreds of millions of abortions? Hobby Lobby, you disgust me. Today's activism segment. Now that you're informed and angry, here's a glimmer of hope to remind you that not absolutely everything is completely terrible all of the time. Today's update, opposing the Boggs confirmation. Michael Boggs, the awful on absolutely everything judge who's up for a federal lifetime appointment, may have survived his confirmation hearings, but the vote to put him on the bench has been delayed. Thanks to a growing chorus of vocal organizations, Congress members, and citizens, the Judiciary Committee is taking a breather before affirming his place on the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. The federal circuit court that will decide the constitutionality of state-level reproductive rights challenges, attacks on immigration rights, voting rights, 
rights and stand your ground laws. If preventing judges with heinous human rights records from landing lifetime appointments seemed important in theory before, the recent Supreme Court session ought to have driven this home. The McCullen decision has put reproductive health care clinics in real danger, and Hobby Lobby opened the door to immediate challenges from bigoted business owners not interested in serving certain segments of the population. If we want to keep June from becoming the month of annual backslides in human rights, we must pay attention to the often yawn-inducing lower court confirmation process. With this delay, there's time to add your voice to the now more than 40 organizations, 11 senators, and entire Congressional Black Caucus standing in opposition to the Boggs nomination. Use the links at NARAL Pro Choice America's website and in the segment notes to say thank you to the outspoken Congress members, add your name to the opposition petition, and call your senator to encourage them to vote no when the time comes. As always, you can tweet at your senators as well as the White House. The president can unilaterally withdraw the nomination, and this is the time he should be contemplating the legacy he's leaving behind. Representative David Scott of Georgia expressed why his caucus is so vocally opposed to the Boggs nomination and why you should join the fight. Quote, I'm as surprised and outraged as you are to be fighting an anti-civil rights, anti-choice, anti-marriage equality nominee put forward by Obama's White House to serve on the federal bench in my home state of Georgia. If we don't stop Michael Boggs, he'll be on the court for his entire lifetime. Come on out from in front of the television. Bust out of your self-imposed media prison. There's a whole big world out there, y'all. And some serious stuff is going down. Civil war intolerance, AIDS obliteration. The usual madness, but not enough frustration about what's troubling Earth's nations. The spotlight will not be your savior in these dark days, and it will not be your saving grace. Why not replace your dreams of gracing life's stage with action? There is another challenge. And, and I guess uh, in the coming days, I will, I will touch on what's happening with Wheaton College. It, it didn't make huge news, but it's, in, in a nutshell, I'll explain it right now. In the Hobby Lobby case, and I should also note that it was clarified by the Supreme Court that the Hobby Lobby case did not just, was not just limited to the four types of contraception that Hobby Lobby mistakenly thought caused abortions. It Supreme Court clarified the next day that it involved all contraceptive care. Even the ones that the stupid Hobby Lobby people knew didn't cause abortion. It applies to all contraceptive care that exists, essentially, and is offered by insurers without a copay. In that Hobby Lobby case, the argument by the five male Catholic conservative justices who ruled in favor of this corporation and its religious soul they said that the government has an easy remedy for Hobby Lobby's refusal to, I guess, engage with health insurance that provides this. Because they had an option, and that option, of course, was to simply not get the tax benefit for offering their employers, employees health insurance. 
That easy remedy by the government was a system set up by the HHS for exemption for religious organizations like Catholic hospitals, which are arguably more of a religious nature. Well, the day after Hobby Lobby was issued, maybe it was two days, maybe it was five days, Wheaton College made the argument to the Supreme Court that the idea that they would have to send a letter, or excuse me, fill out a form for this religious exemption to the HHS was also an offense to their religious sensibilities because by filling out the form, it then alerted the government, which would then alert the insurance agent and would then require the insurance agent to offer contraceptive care separate from, uh, as a rider, separate from the insurance that the, in this instance, college was offering. The insurance companies will eat the cost of this because ultimately it saves them money. But the idea that filling out the form then became an offense to their religiousness in an extraordinary, literally, I mean, it's, I think they call it an extraordinary, emergency ruling, they ruled that this was, in fact, an offense to their religious sensibilities. And it took just about five days for them, uh, the Supreme Court, the, I should say the five, five white male Catholic justices, to say that the reason why they found the Hobby Lobby thing um, in the manner they did was because that there was already a government exemption, so the state did not show that it was uh, necessary to compel Hobby Lobby to offer this health insurance. Help, I have done it again. One question I get a lot from listeners has to do with how long it takes me to make an episode of Best of the Left. Well, between all the research, show prep, and actual editing, it comes out to around 20 hours of work for each one of the 10 episodes I make every month. Obviously, this is only possible because of the listeners who chip in a few bucks each month to make it happen. So if you appreciate this show and think it provides a valuable service, then please think about becoming a member at the $10 a month level. That's only a buck a show after all. I've always believed in giving away the show for free so everyone can hear it without restriction. Restrictions. So if you can afford 10 bucks a month, that covers yourself and several others who maybe can't afford to pay but who need to hear the show as much as anyone. As thanks, members also receive bonus content including extra voicemails, behind-the-scenes stories, and more of my personal musings. Thanks so much for your support. Alright, so I want to talk about a little bit more about Hobby Lobby. Oh no. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about a little case called Wheaton College. Wheaton College is a school in Indiana, I believe. They are a religiously affiliated organization that is, um, uh, exempt from providing health insurance that covers birth control because they are, they have been, um, they're part of the accommodation that the Obama administration entered into with all of the religious right people who got all fired up about the birth control benefit. Right. Okay. So, in the Hobby Lobby decision, the court said 
that Hobby Lobby should be able to avail itself of that same accommodation. Because, look, you have this accommodation, and obviously there's a, a less restrictive means to, to advance the government's compelling interest of providing birth control cost-free to women. Fantastic. And in that decision, the, in that decision, the court essentially said, this other accommodation whereby... An organization basically self-certifies, fills out a form, informs the third-party administrator of their health insurance plan that they are opposed to providing health care coverage for birth control so that that insurance cover, the third-party administrator, can provide that contraception to the women itself. In order for this process to be triggered, a religiously affiliated organization like Wheaton College or Little Sisters of the Poor, which is another um, organization suing for the same reason, they have to fill out a form. The HHS has developed a form that you fill out. When you fill out that form, it triggers all of this stuff. The third party comes in, swoops in, and drops birth control all over everybody's head. Fantastic. <laughs> well, now organizations like Wheaton College are saying, well, they have been saying for quite some time, that merely filling out this form is a substantial burden on their religious freedom. Because by filling out the form, they are facilitating a process by which contraceptives will be made available to their employees by anyone, by someone out there in the universe. But they do understand that they can't control what their employees do outside of them, right? I'm not sure they do. Yeah, I was about to say, isn't that the point? You have a job with me. You owe me. Deal with it. And now, I mean, but, I mean, they're, they're, it's bad enough they're getting, they're getting out of this through this ridiculous, uh, ruling. And so fine, that is now the law of the land. You can apparently say, nah, son. Like that, they should have just, uh, done that. Oh, you want, you want to, you want to be able to, to deal with your own, um, your own body and your own uh, needs and wants as a woman? Nah, son. That's the, that's the law. It's the, 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 the nah, son doctrine is right. real. Right. So now you're literally saying, Cool. Now, they, you guys might try to figure out a way around the Nasun doctrine that actually doesn't cause me to do anything or even cause us to pay for anything like that, but that actually bugs us as well. Right. So what if they find out that their employees were going to go buy some money? Like, we could use their money, but they were going to go buy it. Were they going to be like, I give you that money. I'm uncomfortable with that. Yeah, I mean, that's the slippery slope we're talking about here. But what's what's most disturbing about this particular issue is that merely two days after issuing this Hobby Lobby ruling, wherein the court said that this like, this workaround, this Nasun doctrine, would be applicable to closely held corporations like Hobby Lobby, which we can debate whether or not it's a closely held corporation because it employs like 10,000 people and about 90% of the corporations in this country are closely held and women and women work at about 60% of them. Um, we can talk about that another time. The point is the Supreme Court said this workaround is good. The Nasan Doctrine is good. And then two days later issued an injunction barring the Nasun doctrine from applying to Wheaton College because Wheaton College says by filling out a form, by adhering to this little Nasun doctrine, which is really nothing, just fill out a form and send it off to HHS, that's a violation of their religious well, liberty. Okay, I'm a little confused here. So, so, so okay, Wheaton College, uh, they, they say that they're upset about this, right? Cool. Yeah. But at the same time, they got, the Supreme Court gave them a, a pass? Yes. Yeah. But, how does, how does, the very, the court, the court said that this particular, the Nasun doctrine is good. In the Hobby Lobby decision on Monday, the Nasun doctrine is good. Make it so. Two days later, the Nasun doctrine might be unconstitutional, so we're going to enjoin the Nasun doctrine from applying to Wheaton College while the case works its way out in lower court. And mind you, it is very, very unusual for a Supreme Court, for the Supreme Court to issue an injunction 
while the case is still being litigated in the lower courts. This is a very, I mean, it's very, very, very rare. And for them to do that on the heels of saying the very doctrine that they are enjoining was constitutional is just bizarre. And Sonia Sotomayor was not having it. She actually said that this is the sort of shit that undermines people's confidence in the court. I mean, she didn't say shit, but she might as well, she yeah. might as well have. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is where we are. This is clearly not an issue of How of health care. This is an issue of certain nonprofits, religiously affiliated organizations, and closely held corporations deciding that their religious values should trump the religious values of women and should they should be able to interfere with the health care to which women are entitled by as a matter of law by the Affordable Care Act. But then, I mean, I... I, and this, maybe I'm crazy and I'll, I'll accept this, but if your whole point of your argument is that this is a fix, and I feel as if they, <laughs> and this might, maybe I'm crazy on this, I feel as if they did it, right? They were like, cool, this is what we're gonna do. And women on the court was like, please don't. And they were like, sucks to be you. And I was like, that was that, right? Cool. But then, after they did it, and they, it was, it was already set, and they had already written all this stuff or whatever, someone, cause I, maybe they didn't, they didn't click in their head, it was like, you do realize that. This is going to lead the way to like single payer and another shit, right? So like the government, like you, like we're kind of saying that the government should cover this or whatever. So what are we going to do about that? And people, everyone, as soon as it came down, everyone, as everyone was mad. They kept saying, but this leads the way, uh, to the government, uh, paying for this. This could lead uh, to single payer. So then this is their way of saying, Oh, well, no, okay, no, okay, no, uh, not, not really. Yeah. Not really. Not really. Yeah, I know we, I know we said all the thing or whatever, and I know we set this whole thing up, and I know that we, like, literally, like, that was the whole point of us doing this thing, and we clearly said it was very, very narrow, so specifically this, and that's it, but we hadn't thought about that. Yeah. So, injunction? Yeah. 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 Like, that's... It's bizarre. And what's even more infuriating is that Wheaton College, like Hobby Lobby, actually provided contraceptives in their insurance plans until the Obama administration issued, until this, this health amendment was issued, this, this, this agreement about cost-free birth control was entered into. And then these, these organizations said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I know we've been providing these slut pills to these slutty employees and our slutty students, but, now that the government is trying to say that we have to, we are opposed. This is an infringement of our religious liberty. This will not stand. I mean, how serious can you be about this particular prince, this particular religious principle if you weren't following up until the point someone pointed out that you would have to follow it going forward? Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible. Thanks to Katie Klobusik for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So what I believe we are experiencing in this very moment is what is often called the quiet before the storm. So I don't think I've received any voicemails between the last episode and this moment, which is very rare, but to be fair, I, I'm not that surprised about it. The last episode, you know, I enjoyed it, but I don't think it was necessarily uh, comment worthy. However, the next episode is going to bring with it the storm. Uh, so the next episode I want to let you know is going to be on the Israel-Gaza situation happening right now and a little bit of background on this. I receive emails 
on a semi-regular basis from people who, you know, sometimes accurately, sometimes inaccurately try to predict what news stories I'm going to be covering in the near future, and then try to very helpfully either give me their opinion on it or send me links to clips they think should be included in the show and so on. It's all very helpful and it is uh, appreciated very much. Uh, however, this issue, <laughs> Israel and Gaza happening right now, is the single news story that has generated more emails of that nature than any news story that has happened since I've started working on this show. So my prediction is a lot of people have a lot of things to say about this. I've gotten you know messages from people just offering themselves as resources, basically uh, predicting that they are not going to like the show that I produce and would like for me to uh, basically consult with them to get my facts straight before I, you know, make a fool of myself in their opinion. Uh, some people have simply just given their opinion and encouraged me to think deeply on the issue and struggle with it and not just sort of go with uh, whatever sort of thoughtless progressive flow there might be. I, I think that's reasonable advice. I think it's good to think deeply on, on any issue and not just go with the flow. And and then I've had people sending links to lots of different clips they would like included in the show, uh, you know, potential resources, you know, that sort of thing. So there's a lot to be said on this. I predict a lot of people uh, will have uh, comments on it. So why not start now? Let the yelling begin. If you want to call in and comment on the Israel-Gaza situation, uh, now's the good time to do it, 202-999-3991, and we can go ahead and get the the conversation started before the show even happens, and then it will almost uh, certainly and, and undoubtedly continue on after that. So let the yelling begin, or, you know, perfectly calm, quiet, reasonable conversation, uh, that is also uh, welcome. So that's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it, leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher, and by donating your account at donateyouraccount.com slash left. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a crying shame How we get so trained We can see past our own sad story See